Loaded bases, we're going to do one quick shout out. Dugout mugs. If you've ever wanted a bat to drink out of that's made to a mug, dugout mugs. Go check them out. Go to dugoutmugs.com slash loaded for 30% off. That again, dugoutmugs slash loaded for 30% off. I'm so glad that I have my dugout mug. And you know what? I drink lots and lots of beer out of mine. So go check them out and enjoy. Loaded bases, Kieran Lovegrove. How's it going? It is going well. It's been a, a pretty good day, and I'm happy to be capping it off here. So yeah, you were you were coaching earlier. Yeah, my uh, my A team had a game, and we didn't end up winning. Uh, but so I'm the pitching coach up at the high school, and uh, yeah. my pitcher showed me some heart. Ooh. You know, they were all scuffling a little bit. None of them really had their stuff, but they all kind of bounced back. Showed me they had some heart. Finished out their innings, and so I was happy with that. See, that's what matters. All the heart and passion into it. Yeah, especially at that age. I mean, what, what's going to win you a lot more ball games is just physical strength and heart. Um, and right now, the kids are showing me a bunch of it. So, hey, that's good. So, so what do you do outside of coaching high school baseball? Oh man, right now I am just busy, kind of working with advocates and MTB and and. Um, really just having the conversations that I feel need to be had in minor league baseball, um, making sure that we kind of know what we want. Yeah. Um, which to me, three main things being the housing, which has been addressed, but not, there isn't a set plan yet. Correct. Um, pay, which I personally think should be year round at minimum $30,000. hundred percent. That's, $15 an hour, 60 hours a week during the season, 25 in the off season. Yep. That's a pretty fair assessment of how we work. Um, and the last being meals that are nutritious and, you know, clubs really investing in the nutrition and microbiome of their players. Um, those three things I think could be addressed by all organizations tomorrow with the snap of a finger and immediately they'd all see benefit from their players. Hundred percent. Like I, uh, I've been asked about, um, like what I thought about like the housing, that situation. And I'm like, yeah, like it's. I mean, like it's awesome, but like, what are they going to do about the housing? Yeah, I mean, I I would hope that they're aware that anything that is done outside of really taking care of the players, outside of actually putting the players' interests first, yeah, is going to come back to bite them. Yeah. Um. I don't think this is a space where they can try and create loopholes like they have in the past. I, I really hope not. Yeah. And maybe it's a bit of naivety to think that they'll do it with the player's best interest at heart, but one way or another, we want to make sure the players are taken care of. So if there are stories coming out of certain camps that say, yeah, they provided us 300 extra dollars and mm. no help finding a place to live. That's not addressing the housing problem. Yeah, no. No. So, um, very interested to see how the the implementation goes. Mm -hmm. uh, the word I've used over and over is cautiously optimistic. Uh, yep. I feel that really that could fit. That could it fit. really depends on who's in charge. Uh, if the MOB passes it off to team by team, 
we have kind of the same issue we have across MLB right now, which is there's yeah. no standardization of the minor leagues. And one team, you know, team A, let's say an AL West team, decides, all right, we aren't going to find apartments. We're going to give a stipend. And our players now have to find a place to live, let's say, in California Oof. on this stipend. Well, it's the six-month lease that's hard to find. It's furnished apartments that's hard to find. It's doing that and being able to have a flexible lease that you can break if you get moved up. It's the logistics of housing that are 90% of the issue. Yeah. The not being able to afford housing is an issue related to our pay, not necessarily related to the housing. Mm -hmm. It's the logistics of housing that makes the pay even worse. So it's this kind of interconnected uh, little nightmare scenario that we deal with every single spring to try and find a place to live. You know, me personally, what I would have liked to have seen uh, as a player is arriving in a city, getting a key, going to where you live, turn the key, drop your stuff, that's it. Yeah. I mean, truly a turnkey system, or if there are players who want to live separately and want to take a stipend, the ability to opt into a stipend. Um, there needs to be flexibility to the system. There needs to be full coverage to the system. And I don't think it's a necessarily difficult thing to do. It's just mm -hmm. the creativity re required to get there may not exist in every organization. Yeah, because now they have, they have what is it, uh, four months to figure it out. Four months to figure it out. Um, and almost certainly 2022 is going to be a bit of a cluster. Oh, yeah. I, I think most players have that feeling, and rightly so. Yep. Uh, you know, 21 was a bit of a cluster in the beginning for certain teams, uh, despite a whole year to plan for it. Yeah. Um, so we will see with the housing. I'm, I know there are certain teams that will genuinely take care of their players. Um, there's probably about 10 where I wouldn't worry what they would implement. There's about 15 that I have no clue, and there's probably about five where I know that they're going to try and screw their players. Which is sad. Um, yeah, That's the I, big part that I do not understand, and then, and then, like, why I do what I do. It's because, like, why, why wouldn't you as a MLB team and then a organization want to help and better the, I mean, the future of your own organization which therefore looking from a owner's aspect will bring them more money why not invest your money in the correct why, way yeah. i mean really invest it wisely uh there are teams that do it and they see the benefit oh yeah and yep. it's the teams that have been in the playoffs for the last eight years that is true um you know it's it's become frustrating obviously to continue looking at the the problem and saying well why aren't we developing better players across the league why aren't we investing in nutrition why aren't we investing in mental health um and i do think that teams are starting to push that way it's just the fact that it's never been standardized yeah that there are still teams that are fully fine remaining completely uncompetitive that's what really like aggravates me yeah is that there are certain teams that are completely fine not only being uncompetitive at the big league level but being uncompetitive throughout their system yeah, I, um, I, I feel like that I can name a few teams that are. Yeah, just and, and like, I'm pretty sure anyone who watches enough baseball knows because correct, it's been about five or six years of it. Yep. 
of um like really really piss poor effort yeah on the uh on the side of i'll specifically say the owners to up the budgets to make sure that these things are taken care of um you know to me if you are an owner you own more than a big league team you own a franchise you're an organization 100%. every single one of those employees is still an employee under your banner yep and i think it shows if you treat your employees poorly and, and today's uh environment when it comes to labor is even more tumultuous than than it was maybe when i first got in 10 years ago mm-hmm. um now if you're not treating your employees right you're gonna get called out i mean oh 100 straight up you're gonna get called out and the world's gonna know about it he's making a bed i i was just looking at that i'm like is he pulling the covers to get under and then to pull it back up yeah he likes to make his bed he's a very um particular dog what a good dog <laughs> anyway. no yeah go ahead i'm just distracted man when he lays it hold on down It's like, but I need to find the right spot. Down. <laughs> there he goes. He'll get up in three minutes and move around anyway. <laughs> um, he's been in his kennel all day, so I can't like really be mad at him. Oh yeah, um, for sure. Because I've been working, my partner's been working. So yeah. Um, where were we? Oh, well, I was probably ranting about something, wasn't I? Oh yeah. Okay, so I will. Yeah. So uh, so I let's see. So the nearest minor league field to us, like up in Yakima, Washington, we have uh, the Tri-Cities Dust Devils. Mm. Yeah, they're high A for the Angels. Yeah, well, yeah, in Pasco, right? Correct. Yeah, I've heard not a lot of great things about Pasco. Yeah, no, there is not too much uh, to do down there. Well, that and, like, the facilities apparently really abysmal. Yeah. Um, The food they were getting was bad, like, really bad. Housing was not an easy thing to find. Um. Cause it's not a big town really. Yeah, no, there, there's, I mean, there's a hotel across the street. And they were saying it was just hot and dry. And then just like, that's how the plate. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it is over here on the East side of Washington state. Yeah. I don't think many people really knew that. I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah, that no, get up to a hundred degrees all the time. No one knows that. I like it'll be a hundred degrees in summertime and then it'll be like single digits and snow in the wintertime. Nope. Not for me. And windy and yeah. Hard pass. Yeah, definitely not for me. Hard pass. So, so like, at what point uh, of your playing career in minor league baseball, like, did like did you realize that there was issues? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I probably didn't fully realize it, like, come to the understanding of how difficult some guys had it. Yeah. Until twenty sixteen, seventeen, maybe. Okay. The so first few pretty. I mean, it's a pretty far into your career then. Yeah, I was, you know, I was a bit of a bonus baby and I was certainly kind of protected by the organization with the Indians. They did an incredible job at raising me. I mean, genuinely like taking a 17 year old and eventually turning him into a pretty okay functioning adult. Yeah. Um, From where I was at 17, it was a lot of effort on their part. But I, you know, I had some money, so I, you know, would live in furnished apartments that, you know, I'd live by myself because that's what I preferred to do. Yeah. And it took me a while to realize just how much I was hemorrhaging money away to do that. 
Uh, and so in 16, I got an apartment with some other guys and that was a nightmare. Like the place was terrible. It was um, Lakeshore Towers in, in uh, Westlake, Ohio. So I was with Lake County captains. There's these two enormous towers right there on Lake Erie. And they were just not a great place to live. Like really like a gross place to live. And you have bugs and you, you know, we're on like the 13th floor and they're paper thin walls and mm -hmm. the whole thing. Um, and I ended up losing my security deposit in that place because one of the guys I was living with trashed his room. Like dipped spit bottles and just like I lost 1200 bucks. And because my name was on the lease, nothing I could do legally. And that's a lot of money like to a minor that year. Yeah, like that was the first time I realized like, oh, I just got screwed. Yeah. Like, I just really got screwed. Because um, I always wanted to be helpful. So like I told the guys, yeah, I'll put my name on the lease. I'll put the deposit down because I have the extra money. Like I'll get it back at the end, right? Well, certain teammates don't really have the same respect for others that, that some do. So, yeah, um, it was a really unfortunate situation at 16, 17, mattress on the ground, like trying to save money, um, 18, mattress on the ground in a kitchen with blanket walls, like, uh, and then I happened to meet my partner and she saw how I was living and she was like, this, this is not for humans. Um, Ended up, you know, staying with her more often than not because she had a couch. Hey, and like, and couches are comfier than air mattresses. Yeah, and like she had wine glasses and, and a pan and knives and like all the <laughs> things we don't have. The necessities. This is, this is something that isn't brought up very often as one of the logistic problems of minor league baseball. But when we arrive in a place, we don't have anything to cook with. Yeah, we don't have pans. We don't have knives. We don't have plates. We don't have furniture. We don't have uh, internet. Nothing. And what's easier than to cook? You just find whatever's nearby that's cheap. Fast food. And sometimes you're not even lucky enough to have fast food near you. That is true. I mean, sometimes say, you, you, said, you have to order food, and then say, you're adding $15 onto each order. Say, because this was in, you said, are you playing for uh, Columbus? This was in 18 hours with Akron. Okay, in Akron. Okay. Well, yeah, it started in Lynchburg and I was on, I was actually staying with a friend that I'd met in 17 mm. in Lynchburg uh, just to try and save money. And that worked out for a while and then got moved up, got to Akron and I was like, is there anywhere to live? And the guy's like, yeah, we've got a living room. I was like, perfect. I, you know, I bought a $150 mattress off Amazon. Uh, when it finally came, threw it there, threw some big blankets up around from Walmart hey, and bam, that's my little space. And while I am comfortable living that way, because it is very ascetic lifestyle where like you have nothing. Yeah. There's you go to the field, you do your yep. stuff and you come back home and you go to sleep. It's like the minimalistic. Yeah. It's super minimalistic. I have no problem with that, but that's me. I'm not everybody else. Yeah. See, I, I had the same thing. Like, so my, um, like, so when my girlfriend and I, like when she, like, when she started to move in with me, um, I had TV, uh, a table. Uh, I just had the top mattress to my bed and I had like a, like a lawn chair and I was content. And yeah, like, and that's, that is the one thing that minor league ball has really my made desk me realize and stuff, is like, that, yeah, 
I don't need a lot to be happy. I cut my yeah. closet down like my entire closet. If I dude back up, probably takes up about that much space right now. If I could show you mine, I have probably like half of this top top row of clothes, and then my girlfriend has the whole entire bottom. Yeah, and like because I don't a, need that much stuff. Exactly, that was a choice I made. I was like, I want less choices in the morning for what I'm going to wear. I prefer to wear black, so why not find a black T-shirt I like? Yep. And wear black t like. I just wanted to simplify my whole life, um, and I realized like, yeah, I don't need much. But if I don't need much and I'm still not, you know, obviously I was on a free agent deal, but I kind of ran the numbers. If I don't need much and I still am not coming up positive on my paycheck. Yeah. Like if I'm living that lifestyle and I'm still coming up negative. And that's a big, big issue. Just trying to eat well, trying to, you know, maintain any sort of athleticism. Like if I can't do that on the budget that's given to the majority of minor leaguers, how do you expect them to do it? Oh, they're, I mean, like you have to have like second jobs, spouse, family. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what was it? Cause I make this comparison that like, so I live in a studio apartment and I pay $700 a month for it, which is actually like pretty good. I mean, I mean like for up here in Washington state. Uh, and then, so, so just imagine like if I didn't have to pay rent because housing was provided, that's seven hundred dollars that I could use towards food. I can use towards like a gym membership. I could use towards like a whole bunch of other things, which yeah. therefore will help me as a person, or even like as like an athlete. Like, help me, like yeah, I mean, performance. If I really sat here and dove deep into why I believe there are certain things that need to happen from the uh, athlete development point of view, I think it would become abundantly clear that things should change very quickly. Um, The amount of information that we have coming out about individual person's microbiomes and their gut and how it affects their mood. You have this thing called the gut brain axis. Mm -hmm. It's this kind of communication that happens between your digestive uh, system and all the microbes that exist there and your brain, which there are also a ton of microbes that exist in your brain. And that communication back and forth can be very easily disrupted if you are no longer being fed food that feeds your microbiome. True. So the Western diet is one of the worst culprits for decimating microbiomes across the board. Um, I believe that 100. percent It's it is proven. That's a yeah. It's bad. Like it's it is it is a really bad thing that's happening, and we're totally accepting of yeah uh, in Western culture. But we have to start thinking about the holistic approach to athletic performance which means making sure that nutrition, hydration, sleep, and mental health are all taken care of because they all interact with one another. Oh, Anybody yeah. who's gone, you know, eight hours in a day without eating knows you get a little cranky. Yeah. Like you get actually angry. Yeah. Part of the reason being your body is telling you, you need to go get food. Like you need to fight for food. You're starving in a sense, not really starving, but for our lifestyle starving. <laughs> um, and like, if, and if we're not feeding good food and if we're not feeding the microbiome, then we're just kind of eating these empty fillers. Yeah. And while we may be sustaining our body, you know, from a survivability standpoint, like literally, yes, we can stay on our feet. We are decimating our ability to reduce inflammation, to fight off bacteria, to fight off viruses. 
by decimating our microbiome. It is something that's going to be at the forefront of medicine here in the next 10 years. 100%. I, it's going to be at the forefront of athletic performance because the more biodiversity you have, the better. It's kind of, to yeah. a point, like that is kind of how we look at it. Um, and so teams finally addressing, hey, how do we get more fermented food into our players' diets without them, you know, setting the clubhouse on fire because they have to eat something fermented. <laughs> um, and like for the Latino guys, especially, yeah, they're coming that's... over from a very specific, very kind of niche diet Yep, that they subsist on and that their bodies are adapted to and they do very well on. And then they come here and we say, hey, here's a tray of mac and cheese and like pulled pork, go for it. And then they're probably like, okay. And, they're, and <laughs> they go and they're like, yeah, but dairy is not a huge part of Ugh. Latino cuisine. And so you're running into problems with that. Like the, the fat content is not as high in Latino cuisine. Yeah. So now you're inundating them with saturated fat. Like all these little things aren't always thought of, but they really need to be. If we're talking about developing athletes down to the finest details. I mean, if and, you want to give everyone a chance, that's the way to do it. And so far you, dude, you are the guy to ask and talk to you about it. Well, I, I really hope that comes to be the case. I would love to be involved in this because baseball's the love of my life. When yeah, it comes for sure. To, sport like i fell in love with it at a young age in and out of love with it at times because it is a brutal game it is hey, a brutal game it's it's it will always be i hate it but i love it and then you know there's moments like the first kangaroo court we did this year and i went man this is why i love this game mm -hmm. like little things like that it's the people you meet it's the places you see it's the experiences you have um there's a line that keeps coming up from a fallout boy song because i've been listening to the fallout boy uh from under the court tree album a lot lately good is, uh, man we only do it for the scars and stories not the fame like hey. that's minor league baseball in a nutshell <laughs> that is like we do it for the scars sense. and stories because that's anytime you get minor league baseball players together they're gonna sit there and tell stories oh yeah it's i just, mean it's what we do i would say like is my my favorite part about like playing like I mean, like was road trips. Like I, like I loved sitting on a bus for a long trip. Yeah. Just because, I, I mean, well, right people, you have done it a lot more than I have. The, yeah. <laughs> but with the right people, it they're unforgettable. I mean, oh, a hundred percent. One of my favorite bus stories was in '19 when I was with the Giants, and we were coming back from I want to say Connecticut, and going down to Richmond, and our bus breaks down somewhere in the middle of New York like middle of nowhere in New York. It's Memorial Day. And we just pull into this truck stop gas station. And they go, yeah, it's going to be like six hours till we get a bus. Ooh. Everyone just walks inside. Like they only serve uh, like up to 8%. So we're grabbing twisted teas and <laughs> uh, like Mike's Hard Lemonade. And we're getting uh, like Swishers and cigarettes. And we're just like, fuck it. What else are we going to do for eight hours? Like six hours. Yeah. And it's Memorial Day. So we're like, yeah, let's someone get a speaker and let's just enjoy it. So we're sitting outside of this gas station on the benches, just having a great time. That is awesome. And that wouldn't have happened if you don't have good teammates around you. 
Oh, for sure. I and mean, it, it really is one of my favorite memories that is, it came because our bus caught on fire. <laughs> hey, it's a baseball God's telling you just to sit down and relax and yeah, like, really. enjoy the ride. Like, hey, go celebrate Memorial Day. You guys will get home eventually. Say there's, I mean, like the whole part about like the mental health stuff. I mean, like, cause that like, that's close to me. So, I mean, like for the longest time, like I knew like I had, I had issues, but then, uh, but then now like recently, like I've like, like I've like went to a psychiatrist, like for all this stuff. And then, and then like, I've actually been like diagnosed with uh bipolar type one and manic de- and like manic depression. Okay. And I am like, then like, I wonder like if I address that earlier, like in my life, like when playing baseball and then like other sports, like if I address that earlier, like if I focused on my mental health and then like myself, if I would like, if I would have became a better athlete. So like the whole fact of like, like addressing mental health, like in baseball, I feel that that's a big, like a big, big thing. Yeah. Especially for a game that is so um, nuanced. Yeah. You have things going on in the head. It's really, really tough to play. Um, if you've read my story, you're familiar. Like I suffered from depression and alcoholism and anxiety and uh, undiagnosed, but probably have ADHD and cyclothymia and like, you know, the things that we all kind of deal with as humans, it's a unfortunate side effect of modern society. No, hundred percent. Now I do believe that there are very tenable solutions to helping to solve these problems. Um, But I noticed for me, it came from a, a place of like really deep loneliness. Mm-hmm. which was weird because I was always surrounded by people. Yep. But at the time I was so walled off to anybody um, that I wasn't making any real connections. And even if I was making a real connection, I was sitting there telling myself, well, they don't want to hear, like they don't want to be your friend. They don't want to talk to you. Um, but because I can be a bit of an intense human being and because I can go on these, yeah. you know, tangents, I always feel like, well, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody oh. wants to hear you go off and talk about mushrooms for four hours. Like, dude, I shit you not. I will talk to you about mushrooms for four hours. That's what I'm realizing is I'm finding my tribe for the first time. I'm yeah. really like branching out, being myself, being authentic, being the extrovert that I actually am. Because um, when I get depressed, I get extremely introverted. Yep. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave my room. That's it. That's same exact same with me. And it's this fear of putting yourself out there. It's the fear of rejection. I, I one of my big, you know, big trigger fears is abandonment. Yep. Like I'm terrified of ending up alone. And once I started to understand how I worked, um, really started to dive deep into, all right, why do you think this way? What, ha- what uh, narrative have you been telling yourself for years that's leading to this? And really like trying to break it down to the fundamental, what are you saying to yourself? Yeah. And I noticed something uh, when I actually started using cannabis and I'm a very avid cannabis advocate. Okay. I wasn't sure if I wasn't asking you, I don't say because you were talking about being, or I don't say like looking for like the uh, holistic ways. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I and then I have and, a whole entire bag right there. That's funny. So I am a huge <laughs> uh, medicinal cannabis advocate. Okay. Yep. In that, I also want to really like clarify that and say 
there is absolutely ways to overuse cannabis. Yes, um, there were players this year who suffered from CHS, which is cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. Um, essentially, from from my understanding and from what at least the literature sort of says, is that we obviously have all the CB1 and CB2 receptors of our endocannabinoid system. Correct. And as we use cannabis and flood our bodies with cannabinoids, our body tries to adapt to that by lowering our uh, number of CB1 and CB2 receptors. Now, what happens is if we keep flooding with THC, which is a very powerful compound, yeah. and if we're not mitigating that with other compounds like CBD, CBG, CBN, CBA, um, to kind of mitigate that effect that THC causes, you can see this problem where you have almost no receptors left and you're still flooding your body with cannabinoids. Okay. Something about that interaction causes the body to reject pretty much everything. Hmm. And one of the little understood things about CHS is that any type of cannabis, any type of cannabinoid may set it off again. So when like people start developing symptoms of it, it'll be gastric uh, distress, nausea, and then vomiting that's persisting for more than a few days. Ooh. And it's like, you can't keep anything down. And it's, I mean, like I've heard it is going on as long as 14 days where people have to go to the hospital to have fluids put in because they aren't getting enough nutrition. Hmm. So there are real threats to like overusing cannabis. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about like going through an ounce a week if not more like we're talking about really 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 heavy that's like, usage that's like 24 7 yeah it's, it's like you're exactly it's it's when you get to the point where your body can't regulate itself because it's now in this point where the endocannabinoid system is depleted okay this is a very very important system in our body that is not talked about enough uh, because it was largely misunderstood and also because it was associated with something like cannabis the government went we're not going to really throw money at that yeah it's 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 very interesting. I mean, like, like for me, like, as I'm, I mean, like for the longest time, like I, I would, um, I would smoke or take an edible, uh, like, so I can sleep and like relax. And then I'm like, once you figure out like what works for you, like you stick with it. Yeah. I mean, because they... the thing that people don't understand is that there's so many different strains and there's so many different like percentages out there like that. If you take like the wrong strain and all that stuff and and then and therefore you will have like the paranoia and then yeah like oh will... i mean not understanding the the side effects of cannabis can lead to anxiety attacks if oh, you don't understand yep. that you know heavy usage or even acute heavy usage of cannabis can lead to tachycardia yeah. you might think you're having a heart attack yep um you know if you don't know something like the cannabis shakes which happens when for me typically if i take a large amount of edible or if I smoke a good amount, there's an interesting effect that happens with cannabis where it drops your basal body temperature. And because of that drop, if you're also in a, maybe a little chilly room, mm -hmm. your body now thinks, oh, we're freezing. Like we're going into hypothermia and it starts to shake. Huh. It's this really bizarre thing that happens and like all your muscles will tense up and you really will feel like you're not able to move. Um, this is when we're talking about like hundred plus milligrams of edible, like this is, you know, big doses. At once, yeah. I, yeah, I like, mean, I stick with like the thing. 10 milligram. I mean, like I yeah, just I'm, stick with that. I'm more of an explorer. I'll go up to 100. Dude, plus and, I would, um, I wish I could just like come over. 
and then because I want to try that. I I mean I also grow um, my own plants and yeah, it became something that really changed my life during the pandemic because it gave me something to wake up for. And it's a science behind it, and there's always more it's to a, learn. Exactly, it was learning yep. about the incredible interconnectivity of the soil. Oh, the microbes. Yep. I mean the the mycorrhizal fungi, how they interact with the roots and how those interact with bacteria and this incredible interconnected web that happens in every, you know, square foot of soil. Yeah. And that learning sparked me just so much inspiration. And then it was, like I said, the reason to get up in the morning to go and check the plants because they were different every day. They're a living organism. Yep. And the first time I had a seed pop up into a seedling, I will not, okay. I will, I will not say that it was like having a child. <laughs> but <laughs> I was really happy about it. You're like, it's the happiest day of my life. Like I had I had tears in my eyes. Did like, you name it? No, I I mean they all oh, have frames, but you should have um, named it. It was well by the end I was gonna have to chop it down. Oh true. But um it was the feeling that I grew something from a seed. Yeah, true. The the basics of life. And <laughs> It just it brought I me it, it brought me an this. immense amount of joy, and you know I just started another grow now. I think I'm two weeks in on one seed and one weekend on the newest seed, so they're not too far apart. But um, it really has become something that I absolutely fell in love with, and it is something that I want to advocate for in baseball. Hundred percent. Go around and and talk to teams and say, here's what the science says right now. Yeah. Like forget all the bullshit you were taught in school, because a lot of that was propaganda. Here's the actual science. Yes, 100%. it can be helpful for certain people. It can also be very detrimental for others. If there are people that have any risk of schizophrenia or dissociative identity, anything that can cause that schism probably should stay away from cannabis. Yeah, um, that's it, that's what I mean. Like, is my like so my psychiatrist like so she's I mean like she she's very pro, um, a cannabis. Yeah. So I mean I mean like so. So like with like the meds and all that stuff, I mean, like it's more of like a lower dose, but, but like, because she, she's, she said that like, I can still take it for medical purposes. I mean, yeah. like for like the night times, I mean, because like I have like bad, like anxiety mm-hmm. and I mean, like I will like lay in bed and just like, like destroy my own life in my head. Oh yeah. See the six hour stare is something I'm very familiar with. Yeah. Where you just laying in bed and like, you're staring at the back of your eyelids for six hours. You're not sleeping. Yep. Very familiar with that. Uh, yeah. Dealt with, you know, pretty chronic insomnia. Um, it was one of the things that really caused me a lot of problems in my career because, you know, I'd pitch one night and then I'd be, I, I'd get zero hours of sleep. Yeah. And the next night I'd get one hour of sleep. And so my body was just breaking down through this whole time. And then by the third day, you know, I may have been throwing 98 on that first day. Now, by this third day when I haven't slept, I'm at 92 miles an hour. And that's a huge difference. And the feel and the confidence and the sharpness of your uh, mind, all of that goes right out the window if you don't sleep. Sleep is very, very, very important. One of my four pillars. Like to the high school guys, it's the four things I talk about every single day. I'm sure they're sick of me saying it. But sleep, hydration, nutrition, and mental health. Like those are the basic pillars, in my opinion. Um, I am I'm 100% with you. If, if any of those suffer the body suffers, the athlete suffers. Um, and so I just, you know, I 
pound that into their heads constantly. They'll come in and be like, oh, I'm not feeling too great today. Well, what'd you eat? What'd you, you know, have you drank enough water? Did you sleep? If none of those, if those are all fine, then I say, hey, like, is there anything going on off the field that we, like you want to talk about? And I've made it very, very clear to my players, like, feel free to talk to me. I'm here for you guys. I may not have great answers, but I'm here to listen. Like, I understand that going through high school is not an easy time and it doesn't always feel like there's someone there to listen. Don't say that like, and then like just someone there to, there to listen to you. That's, that's huge like by itself. Yeah. That is, and that's huge. That's what I really hope to give those kids. And, and I'm already happy that, that they seem to have accepted me and enjoy my company hey, that's and good. like having me as a pitching coach. And it just, that's, you know, another part of my life right now that's bringing me just an enormous amount of joy is getting to work with them. Just coaching and helping out. Yeah, just, you know, uh, it's it's completely new to me. I've never really coached. Yeah, it's a um, whole different aspect in playing. And I, and I told the kids, like, guys, I know baseball one way, and I'm going to teach you guys the same way, which means I'm not holding back. Yeah. I'm not dumbing anything down. We're learning professional things. I'm say, gonna treat you all like professionals. I think you've, I think you've shown that it works. That whatever you do works. Yeah, I mean, last year was the first year I went through the entire season, and I was sore twice, which is amazing. Like I was in the training room once. That's see, I wish I could say that like back, back like in college, and I mean like. I'm like, I, I would throw one day and I couldn't move my arm for like seven. It was just like, interesting. well, yeah. Cause then, and then I realized that that was my rotator cuff and labrum like partially torn. Yeah. And then like, then I just thought that like my elbow was hurting because I was trying to like overcompensate and, and then, and then it would be, and then like when I would not focus on that, then I would try and use my legs more. And then my legs were just done. And it was just like, I was all, all fucked. It's the entire kinetic chain. If one part Dude, goes, it's, like, it's very interesting. That's why with all, like with my high school guys, I start from the heel. Like all if they the don't way. have a good bottom half, I'm like, none of this stuff up here matters if we don't get the bottom half right. That is true. And they're, and, you know, I, I love the fact that they're buying in. And some of them are actually starting to see like big jumps because yeah. they're starting to make really big efficiency changes yeah. in their mechanics and it's so exciting for me to see them like get something to see that light up of like oh, okay 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 um and that's kind of where we've been and and like i said that that's something very new to me but i absolutely love and say helping out others and then and then using your knowledge like to help someone else else out and they like understand like all of everything it's an yeah. amazing feeling and so go ahead oh oh go ahead oh no I, it was like i finally have the confidence in myself that you know i did nine years of professional baseball if i went to nine years of school like i have a doctorate <laughs> that's true and so i'm finally starting to accept like you have a doctorate in baseball you sat there and watched pretty much so many games and so many high level athletes move like when i talk to my players i say i need to see how you move because if you don't move well, then we have to make changes to like the basic mechanics of your, your ability to move. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten the chance to see just incredible athlete after incredible athlete hop on that mound and throw and really watching what they do well, what positions they get into. And there you know, seem to be a few that just come up in every single hard thrower. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, good drive direction, hip shoulder separation and scap load. Yeah. Like those three things going up the chain seem to be the keys to velocity. Um, how we get there changes based on how we move. And I've just fallen in love with trying to tinker with efficiency and biomechanics. And I can tell you're, you're a very much numbers guy. I like numbers, but I also very much like feel. Um, yeah. Okay. Like I need a guy to be able to tell me I can understand that. what he did wrong without having a rap soto or a track man. Yeah. Cause none of that stuff's out there when they pitch. Nope. So right now, like I'm telling those guys in every pitcher that isn't in the game, I'm asking, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? Cause I want to build their instincts to where if they do something wrong or if they see someone do something wrong, it's immediate. They know it, they recognize it. Like that's where I want to get them to by building those instincts. And for me, it took years and years watching high level block guys move. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to do it to some of these seniors in like four months. Yeah. Which is, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, it's, uh, it's a task for sure. Yeah. So there's, I mean, dude, like I am, I'm hyped that you're a high school coach. It's, I never thought I'd have so much fun, but I also never thought I'd be so busy. Well, yeah. Cause you've been, I would say, cause you had, uh, you actually did an article with, uh, June Lee. Mm-hmm. How, how did that go about? So that came about from Harry Marino, uh, who's the director of advocates for minor league baseball. Um, he and I spoke. Yeah, I got my, uh, got my fair, yeah, fair ball wristband on. Yep. Um, he and I spoke early in the year about housing. And by that point, I had already gone on multiple rants with the Angels org because what happened in spring training there really just pissed me off. Yeah. Um, and we were given a sheet of, of apartments and none of them were viable. And I'm like literally of the eight apartments on there, we called every single one. Not one of them was viable for a player to go live in in the first week of the season. Wow. Some of them were way, way, way too expensive. Um, some of them were not even close to the ballpark. They were like eight, nine miles away. Guys don't have cars. Like, um, Some of them were obviously unfurnished. Some of them wouldn't do six-month leases. Um, and I was just pissed off about it because it's been happening year after year after year. Yep. Different organizations. I just keep seeing it. And it's such a stressful thing for the players to go through right before they have to start a season, which is stressful enough getting through spring training, getting towards the end, <laughs> knowing like, all right, I made it through a spring training. And then you're immediately thrown into another extremely stressful situation. And then you're immediately thrown into the season. And so I just, I got to the point where I was pissed off. Harry reached out and I said, yeah, like I'm, I'm in on it. I'm, I planned on retiring. Like if there's one good thing I can do in my career, it is to stand up for these guys and make sure that they're taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and I started a correspondence. And from that, he had been talking to reporters and he said, Hey, you know, June Lee ESPN wants to do a story. Would you be willing to give comments, you know, anonymously? And I said, Nope, I'll do it with my name attached. Like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. Yeah. Um, and June came out in mid July, I want to say. No, earlier than that. It came out 
maybe late June. Oh, I can't even remember now. And, and uh, during the, yeah, during the season at some point. And I just told him like, you're about to get way more than you asked for. <laughs> and we started recording and I just let him have it. And I said, yeah. here's my story. I can only speak for myself, but here's what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And I think it went well. I think, I, I think, I think you did amazing. Well, I, that's how was, I found you. It was way. authentic because I was just having a conversation with June. Yeah, exactly. But there, you know, there was no, I wasn't uh, embellishing anything. I wasn't telling anything that wasn't true because if I had, almost certainly I would have been taken to court. Yeah, things get really messy when you not say the right things, especially when you're, I mean, like when, I mean, like once you're under contract with your employer and you're yeah, like, saying, hey, this is what's wrong. Technically, everything I did was full green grounds to fire me uh, because I did a press uh, interview without permission from the club. Like True. there's a lot of things in our contract that pretty much own our voice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you're planning on retiring anyway, but you know, shit might as where's, well. Where's the fear? Yeah. Um, but I didn't want to hold back. I mean, I, I wanted to speak genuinely with a voice that I've heard from a lot of minor leaguers. Yeah. Um, it was not just mine. It was mine plus about 5,000 other guys. Yeah. Like those sentiments were not unique to me. I think, I think that every story that I have heard, I mean, I'm like, they're all like, they're all different, but they all fall under the, I guess, like the same realm. Yeah. I mean, it's just that it's the realization of, well, damn, that's really exploitative. Yep. Like they're full on in broad daylight exploiting us and there's no recourse. There's nothing yeah. that we can do about it. Oh yeah. Um, you know, that frustration, I think bubbled up forever and despite my personal feelings towards social media, I think that was the only way that it was able to happen. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I fully believe social media is one of the greatest evils of the 21st century. hundred <laughs> percent. But it also has an enormous power. Yep. Um, and the ability for people to see the truth unfiltered and kind of break the illusions they had surrounding the game Really, I think it woke up a pretty big portion of baseball fans. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I mean, like, cause when I did my interview, like with Jeremy Wolf, I, like, we sat and talked for like three hours. It was just like I was in shock the whole time of like all like the actual stuff that happened. Yeah, I mean, my 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 very first job, I was a bat boy, uh, for a low A team, and I was like 13, 14. and I was confused on why like why i had to go get them a drink from the concession stands because that because i was like well like isn't it like provided but they're i and then they just laugh and i'm like okay like i'm like i mean like but then now 100 percent understand that yeah it all the little weird workarounds that we've had to make and all the little sacrifices have added up and um once they've been weighed and measured, we've realized that our sacrifices have been far, far larger than the sacrifices made by those in charge. Oh, 100%. I mean, was like the average, 
So the average minor leaguer makes over over their seven year like six thousand eight hundred eighty seven bucks. Yeah, it's 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 not a lot. No. Um, no, especially just considering the skill level that we play at. You guys are professional athletes like, that I like that everyone looks up to. The the you know I I talk about this over and over and there's probably some big leaguers who'd be pissed off to hear it, but the difference between a big leaguer and a minor leaguer in terms of talent, like pure raw physical talent, an average big leaguer and a minor leaguer is like that. It's tiny. Yeah. It's consistency. It's the ability to use that talent day in and day out on a consistent basis, not taking at bats off, not taking pitches off. Like that's the difference maker. I believe it. It's focus. It's kind of, it's a lot of intangibles. It's, um, maturity you know all those things factor in it's timing it's it's whether or not the guy in front of you is hurt or if he's hitting 360 well guess what you're stuck yeah like all those little things add up to being able to move up but if you're in professional baseball you're in professional baseball because you have a chance to be a big leaguer yep you at least have something that a team liked even if it's hey this guy throws a ton of strikes and we can move him between high a double a and triple a back and forth and use him as a, as a filler arm because that's a real thing. Yep. Like there are plenty of guys and organizations who are just there to fill spots. And the organization knows it. The front office knows it. The players probably have a decent idea. And it's not something we talk about. And those players, if given the right opportunity, the right nutrition, the right coach, could be a 10-year big leaguer. Exactly. Like that's, that's how small the difference is. Well, yeah, because I mean, like, so, so, like, is the front office like? Uh, I'm trying to think of the question. So, like, is the front office like open with you guys or no? That is, or like very to a much, certain, very much org to org. Okay. Um, I think one of the biggest gripes from players, and you know, I certainly saw it in my career, was lack of communication. Okay, which which that's kind of like a that's like an overall theme with anything that has issues. Yeah. The inability to effectively communicate is very prevalent. Yeah. In baseball. Um there are certain systems who basically have a different style of hierarchy. Yeah. Um so in certain systems you have you know whatever the lowest staff member is, minor leaguers, uh minor league player development staff, major leaguers, major league staff, like all the way up the chain till you get to the owner. And there are other organizations where it's completely flat. If you're a cook, you have as much of a say, at least in your, you know, facet of the game as the director of player development. And it's everybody doing their job effectively and everybody communicating effectively across that line it's a well-oiled machine where nobody feels like, oh, I can't reach out to them because they're the big league pitching coach. You go, no, I need to learn a slider. And that's the dude who teaches slider. So I'm going to contact <laughs> him. Like it's having that complete flat ability to mix, match, change. This coach works with this guy really well. Like they're in different affiliates, but let's get them on a video chat or something. Yeah. It's understanding that the organization itself is not, you know, four separate minor league teams and a big league team. Yeah. It's 200 or so athletes that throughout the course of a season might see serious change from one to the next. You know, you might 
you might do what the Rangers did. What was it two years ago where they had like 96 dudes on roster? At one, like they've got they went through pretty much their big league triple A and double A staffs all the way to the big leagues. They all played like it's once again not that big of a difference between a big leaguer and a minor leaguer. That is true. We see it over and over and over. Guys will get called up from high A on a spot start, and dude goes six innings, punches out eight, gives up like two. You'll take yeah. that from any big leaguer any day. You would take that from any professional baseball pitcher right there. Yeah, so like... It's huge. It's... I really wish teams would... And especially like teams that have that really stratified hierarchy. Yeah. Squash it down and get rid of your ego. It's it's kind of Everybody can be helpful to everybody else. Everybody has knowledge that you may not have. Even if you're... If you, even if you perceive yourself to be a great front office of 10 people, there are 500 minor leaguers who have information that may be beneficial. Yeah. And if they don't get a chance to ever impart that knowledge onto anybody, it's lost. It's, it's like you, you never know if you don't try. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, like if you have a question, ask it. Exactly. I mean, because and, like and the worst have... thing that I make the worst thing like that someone could say is no or they just don't answer yeah, it. Yeah, like I think so many players fear the front office in certain organizations. I'll be mm-hmm. clear. In certain organizations, players fear the front office because the front office walks around like an entity that is above everyone else. Yeah. So younger players, especially, do not feel that they can bring up concerns or go to the front office and say, hey, I'm dealing with a mental health crisis right now and I really need help. I can't imagine what it would be like for like for me at 17 through 22, never had the ability to do that. Yeah, I was always terrified of bringing that up because to me, any sign of weakness was a sign that you shouldn't be playing baseball. Yeah. I mean, especially like for mental stuff too. Yeah, I mean, and like I mean, I mean, like for like a mental sport game, it's it's scary to have those feelings. Yeah, and like if your team has the resources but they don't give them to you, it can be very frustrating. Like, not every team has an employee assistance program. Yeah, uh, not every team has mental skills coaches. Not every team, you know, is at the forefront of making sure that their guys are happy. Um, It was something interesting I heard from an AFL player where they had guys on their squad from one of the, you know, what I consider the upper echelon organizations. And they said, these guys just seem happier every day. They're excited. They interact with each other. They're energetic. Like he was like their entire aura of those guys is different than us. Yeah, and, you know, he's with an organization that I wouldn't put in the top ten, um, and like he saw the realization of how big of a difference it was to have good food, to have good, you know, mental skills coaches, to have an organization that respects you as a human being, um, you know, to have an organization that is not trying to fundamentally control your life. Yeah, um, like they saw a very, very palpable difference in those players. It's, it's, I mean, 
So like for like me, like on the outside looking in, it's kind of like, okay. Like, cause I work for a company where like the pay isn't like all the best, but yeah. we have great benefits and our, and our supervisors and like the higher up guys actually like care about us like as people. So therefore we're happy and we want to be there. And that alone of wanting to be there is huge. Yeah. I mean, if we look at the greater kind of macrocosm of the, of the labor shortage in the United States today, most of the jobs that people don't want to work are jobs where you're berated by customers. Yep. Cause apparently, you know, you didn't get enough mayonnaise on your fucking sandwich. And like, that's the type of stuff that people actually no. berate another human being over. Well, yeah. Like, so my, uh, so my girlfriend, so she's a, she's a server slash bartender, like at a restaurant. Yeah. My, and, my oh. partner as well does bartending and yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, I, and then I hear crazy stories of just like the smallest things that people bitch about. Yeah. And just like the complete lack of respect for human dignity. Just being a decent human being. Like I, I remember one time my partner and I went out somewhere and they were having like, you know, staff problems. Someone had to go home early. They were sick or something like that. And the guy's trying to tell us like, oh, we're running. And we we're just like, no, you're completely fine. Like come to us whenever you're ready. Like we're not trying to add stress to you. And at the end of the night he came up and he's like, I like, thank you so much for being so nice. I'm like, dude, we did the basics. Like bare minimum yeah. should be to make sure that another person who is in a more difficult position should be allowed some some wiggle room it's sad like, that that maybe their feeling should come first in that moment not like i said your fucking sandwich yeah and it's it's frustrating because that exists in a lot of other spaces 100 and i think for minor leaguers the, the way it relates is there were always people telling us like no the minor leagues is supposed to be a grind you're supposed to suffer why that doesn't make any sense if we're trying to win ball games. Yeah, nope. Like we should be thriving. We should be given every opportunity to develop. We should be given every opportunity to put on weight, lose weight, do whatever we need to do um, to get better. And if organizations have just willfully ignored certain aspects of development because, oh, it helps our bottom line by $5 million. Well, like, yeah, but they will blow the 5 million on something else. That's oh, like, I mean, like irrelevant. Yeah. The, the money has never been the issue. That's, that's the no, most no. frustrating part. I think to everybody is money's never been the issue. And even after the pan, like, I'm sorry, most of these owners have billion dollar portfolios. Therefore they had people in place to allow them to make money from the pandemic. And yep. if, if, you don't believe me? Well, we had a 16% increase in billionaires during the pandemic. Numbers don't lie on that one. Sorry, everybody. Like, like how they does... took advantage of a horrible situation and made hundreds of millions of dollars. Yep. And not just the owners, like it wouldn't you if you had a billion dollars and you could go, yeah, I'll throw, you know, $200 million at this and make 600 over the course of 15 months. Uh, I, I would uh, do that in a heartbeat. And I will, so I will take my 10 bucks and make 80 bucks more than anything. It was extremely frustrating for me to try and stomach owners saying, well, we lost a lot of money. Bullshit. 
You did, did you? Well, let me tell you what we dealt with. Yeah. The A's tried to not pay their players. Yeah. Well, yeah, because like we, people were, don't also understand that like you don't get paid unless you play and there wasn't a season. Championship season. That is all we get paid for. The five-month championship season is all of our contract stipulation, 22 weeks a year. That's the only that's the only time that we get paid. Out of 56 weeks that you know we are probably working for is it 56 or 52? Uh however many uh, weeks are in a year. 50-ish. We're we're working for 50 of them. Yeah. Um like I took my time off. I'm back into training already, and I don't even know if I'm gonna play next year. Yeah. Like I don't know if a team's going to want to sign me. I don't know if I'm going to be in shape enough to even be signed. Like all that depends, but. What's, I guess, what's your, what's your dream job besides, I guess, well, I mean, like you did state that like baseball is your life. Yeah. But, but your dream job. So outside of baseball, I wanted to get into academia. Um, okay. I, I just have a, a very curious mind. I have to know things. I have to challenge things like, um, dream job is maybe being a professor. Um, I just, I think I would find a lot of joy in being able to teach every day. Yeah. Um, and to be able to do research projects. Uh, I like the idea of being a writer, basically anything that keeps me out of a building that I were, or sorry, keeps me out of like a, a chair. Yeah. I don't want to be stuck in a chair all the time. Yeah. Um, see, that's what I do right now. I mean, cause I, uh, I do accounting. That's my mm-hmm. uh, day job. And then I come home and I just try and crank out podcast stuff. And I just come up like with ideas, but like, like being a professor, that would be amazing. And just from talking to you, you like, you like from the, this past hour, you would have a kick-ass class. Well, unfortunately, uh, philosophy doesn't pay very well. And as much as I would have loved to have been a philosopher and just sit around and question the universe and people would be like, oh, you're so fucking brilliant. <laughs> um, that's not the case. And that doesn't really exist any day. <laughs> and not that many people would think I'm that brilliant, but there's certainly a subset who would listen to me and go like, oh, that's fantastic. Dude, I would um, sit and listen to you. It's like, well, it's, it's a, I'm telling you, a four-hour con- conversation about mushrooms. It's I- eloquent insanity. It's really what it is. Like, oh, it's yeah. the ability to put my complete insanity into a pretty little word package. Um, I fi- like. I realized I had that ability, uh, where like I can talk about really obscure subjects. Um, I did a LGBTQ podcast the other day, and I started talking about you know my theory on bonobos and human sexuality and, and a mm-hmm. few other things, and like. He's like, yeah, we're going to have to have you back on for that one. <laughs> I'm like, sure. Okay, like, deal. I am happy to talk about all the insane things I, I read and write about. And it's I just, I can't, I, uh, it's not always a good thing. I'll tell you that because on the mound, you don't want to have that much thought going on. <laughs> you got to not think. It's very hard for me to turn off my inner monologue because I don't have inner visualization. Yeah. Um, I have something called aphantasia. There's a spectrum of it. Uh, basically, if you're the if you have aphantasia, when you close your eyes, you see the back of your eyelids. That's it. Um, I'm slightly above that to where the best way to describe it is you know like a sparkler that you'd have on Fourth of July. Yeah. And how you when you run that across your eyes, you kind of get the after image. Yeah. 
that little after image glow is about the closest I get to building structures in my head. Other people have hyperphantasia where if they think about a red apple, they can see the red apple in extreme detail, almost to the point where they can smell it. I think a lot of people fall somewhere in the middle. I've never really thought about that whole theory, but like for me, like I can think of ideas. I could like picture doing them. Yeah. Like the imaginative vision is there, but you can't build like a structure out in front. Is that uh, the best way I can describe it? I'm like, if I think detail by detail of how to do it, I can, but Actually, I think that's why I'm so like I feel you like it sounds like yeah. you have a very aggressive inner monologue as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so my like, so like my mom, so she's a high school uh, art teacher. Mm-hmm. She's very very creative. So she's just like just like do whatever you think like like something can happen, go do it. And then like then my grandpa like he should be like a world famous uh engineer because do like he's like macgyver on steroids like he can make absolutely anything and and then i mean because i grew up like out like out like in his like garage just building stuff and then just like asking questions and then i have like the creativity like from like my mom and like just like i like being being like Yes, he's he's making his appearance. Yeah, well, he's complaining. <laughs> I know, but we haven't played all day. Okay. Um, yeah, no, we're I, like when I first found out, like, oh, you can't visualize. This was years into my pro career. Yeah, and the amount of days that I sat in a classroom in pro ball, being told, "All right, visualize you're on the mound, see the stadium." And I'm and sitting you there couldn't going, do that. All I see is the back of my damn eyelids. Like nothing's happening. Yeah. It's so frustrating to me because I always thought, well, you're pretty intelligent. You can think your way through this. But my brain just straight up does not work that way. Yeah. It's not the structure that I have. Um, I have a very strong internal monologue to the point where I'm almost having conversation with myself throughout the day. Oh, just constantly. Oh, I do that. I, yeah. Like I, it. Like, I thought that that was an issue, like, with me, but then, like, I talked to a psychiatrist about it, and then she's like, well, no, like, that's, that's kind of normal. It's just what the words are saying. Exactly. <laughs> that's a very, very key point. And, you know, bringing it back to cannabis, the one thing that allowed me to do is it did not allow me to lie to myself. Yep. That'd be true. Which was a very, very interesting thing to happen because I am an incredible procrastinator. And I'm an incredible bullshitter to myself, especially. And I would notice that, you know, to just give a, a brief example, you know, say I just finished eating and I'd go to put my plate in the sink. Yeah. If I'm completely sober, I'll put it in the sink and I may just, my brain just may be somewhere else and I'll just walk away. Well, let me get my camera back to focus. Um, but if I had smoked and I go to put my plate in the sink, I'll like, maybe my brain will tell me, oh, you'll do it later. And then this other voice will come in and be like, no, you won't. Dude. Like, just wash it and put it in the dishwasher. You, like, oh, just do you, it. You and I are the same on that one. It's, and that, I, it, that's it's, crazy. It's a very interesting thing that happened to me. And I, I noticed how it started to change a few of my patterns. Yeah. And so now, even if I'm fully sober, I just 
like my patterns have gotten to be more effective it's because kind of, I it's wasn't like able muscle to memory. It's yeah, like the like, muscle memory like in your brain. It's knowing that it's a lot easier to just do it. Oh, and 100%. Like understanding, hey, just get it done. Like if you just get it done, you don't have to do it again. Like it's yeah. really, really simple concepts that sometimes we lie to ourselves so much on Yep. that we just fall into that loop. And being able to break that pattern either by, you know, for me, it was using cannabis to gain a different perspective. Mm-hmm. I went from an internal perspective to an external perspective. And now I could look at what I was doing from an objective point of view, um, you know, kind of observing the observers is one way to put it. It's seeing out of your eyes, but it's the, it's the brain behind that. That's really doing everything. It's the third eye. Like it's it's sitting back and watching the world happen and only reacting to it after it's gone through that first filter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something I gained from reading Marcus Aurelius, which I recommend to anybody who is struggling with anything. I should do that. It's an incredible, it's not, it's not really a book. It was a dictation that he did in 50 or 152, whatever it was. Um, and he was dictating in Greek to a writer. And these were just his inner thoughts. Mm-hmm. And they are some of the most profound questions and thoughts that were never meant to see the light of day that eventually came out as his book meditations and you can just read it over and over and things will stand out to you um and and it just gets you meditations meditations. it is um the structure of it is very loose it's literally like you know it'll be like three lines and then it'll jump something a little bit different but it's all dictated from him and there's a little bit of theming to it. Um, but there's certain, there's certain passages in there that I've highlighted and read over and over because they offer a very simple way of looking at a very complicated world. I am, I am going to buy that book right now. Absolutely. I, I recommend it to absolutely everybody. Um, it is one of the pillars of stoicism. Um, not that I believe everybody is built to be a Stoic. Yeah. But I think that there are lessons in Stoicism that can apply to a lot of people that may help you out in certain parts of your life. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, when did I pick that up? I picked it up last spring, maybe a little bit before then. And I read it and just fell in love with it and took some of those lessons into the year and it helped me a lot. Yeah, that's, I mean... I think like just from like shit, you not like just this conversation, like with you has probably helped me out <laughs> quite a bit. Like, I mean, like just, I don't know, just to have like faith in a humanity. I think you helped me out on this one. There's, there's still hope. I know oh, that Yeah. the one thing that I feel has been taken away. Cause how old are you? 27. Um, okay. So we're the same age. Yeah. The one thing that I feel has been taken away from our generation and and younger is hope. Yep. Hope for a future that's going to be better. I mean, the climate crisis is is a huge one. Uh, We have an impending financial crisis. We have a housing crisis. Like everything is being done for the right now. And those of us who have to live in the future, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of optimism or hope for it. It's kind of like, I mean, like, if you think about it, I mean, because you hear people like that joke and say, 
we're fucked. It's kind of, I mean, like to a certain sense we are because we have to live like in this future and because of like the generations like below us, it's, it's kind of hard to trust other people. Yeah. And there's you can not a lot of uh, altruism and say, cause because like as like one person, like you can only do so much. Yeah. I, you know, I think I, I will say though, I had a bit of an epiphany when it came to what one person could do. Yeah. And it was the realization that because I am such in the grand scheme, an insignificant person, I had the ability to speak loudly because my personal career in the grand scheme of baseball and you know this is a very small microcosm if we're talking about just baseball yeah um my career really doesn't matter to the game as a whole my voice when speaking out to protect those coming after me and to make sure that those in the game now are continued to be taken care of and are not being exploited once i realized I can speak very loudly because I'm just one little tiny fraction of the whole, but because I'm a part of it and because, you know, I know it, I can speak for the whole in a way. And the voice becomes very loud. Say, and you do an absolutely amazing job at it. Well, thank you. And, and then like with that, we're just going to, oh, we're just going to wrap this up. Yeah, I'd... I think this is an absolute amazing conversation. No, and then I would be happy to have more. Um, like I said, I, I've always got plenty to talk about. Dude, we can have a conversation for an hour about mushrooms. Like if you want to do a mushroom podcast, I, I will absolutely be there for it. Um, <laughs> my teammates hey. made fun of me so much this year because I, everywhere we went, like if we were out on the field after rain and there were these little mushrooms popping up, I'm squatting down next to them and looking. You're like, let's go. Like, And like, I'm explaining to them like, this is mycelium. This is how it works. This is what a mushroom. Like. <laughs> yep. And then, you know, now the best thing I would recommend to anybody go watch fantastic fungi on Netflix. Dude. Yes. That incredible, is right. Dude. That is where like I watched it. I was stoned for one. Oh, but, that's like, a good start. Do you like, I watched it. And I was like, what is this? And then it's, I went on a, a spree of Google. Like it's incredible. And like, have you seen the research coming out of Johns Hopkins with psilocybin and uh, I've, I've been on YouTube and I searched like a few things. Um, then I'm sure you've seen people talk about yeah, it. Yeah. The research coming out for psilocybin is spectacular. And that, yeah, I would like, say. Like world changing type spectacular in my opinion. Say um, that's a whole different conversation. That's a whole nother podcast. That we so with this one, thank you so much for being on. Yeah. I'm saying, you know, it, it it went kind of the typical Love Grove way, which is just going but hey, all the different directions. Hey, like, but you know what? This is your episode, and I'm glad that you're, you are a guest on my podcast. Well, I really, really appreciate it. That was a lot of fun for me.